is it? That's so funny, Corinne. <laughs> oh, love it. Love kids. We we need to start a booklet of all the things that they say and then that'd be really fun to look back on. Okay, today this morning when I was praying some more about, you know, what exactly God wanted to speak to us, I kept hearing and this has been something on my heart, you know, personally I've been meditating on it myself for a bunch of weeks now. Tommy also God's been kind of speaking to him along these lines, but um, um, rec- basically what I titled it, if there was a title of something, Recognizing Cultural Influence on Your Faith. Um, we have to recognize that our culture has influence on our faith. And a lot of times when you grow up in a certain place, your faith is so influenced that we have different paradigms, ways of thinking and doing that are so influenced by our culture that we don't realize that they're not even really biblical. And I've been mulling over this. We have been, um, I don't know if you all heard about the the story of that young man in India who lost his life. Did you hear about that? There's been tons of news, a lot of people tearing this kid to shreds about he, how he shouldn't have gone to this aisle. It's basically, if you haven't heard, has everyone heard the story? Yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, a lot of things, and unfortunately it's shown how divided as the church, big C, that we are. Because we're all, s- you know, I heard a lot of things of, well, he could have brought them disease. Was he using wisdom? He didn't know the language. And as I was meditating o- on all of these things, I was getting a little more and a little more and a little more irritated by everything that was being said because, number one, it seemed to me so clear that our culture had so influenced our faith that our wisdom became the wisdom of man and was foolishness, actually. And we were belittling the power of God. I've had experiences in my life in New York when I was with Street Life where someone came up to me speaking a different language and I understood them and was able to speak back the gospel to them and they gave their life to the Lord. Now, that sounds like, oh my gosh, because we don't hear that type of stuff happening all the time. But it happens, and we shouldn't be surprised by it because God, you know, he's so big. He created all languages. If he wants to get a message across, he's going to get a message across, Acts 2. When they started speaking all sorts of tongues, what did the people around say? I hear them speaking the praises of God in my own language. They didn't know what languages they were speaking. Something was erupting from the inside. And that's how amazing it is, our God, that He, no matter what, there's no barrier that can keep him. So this kid may not have known the language, but him, I believe fully that if he shouts out, Jesus loves you and died to give you life, that they could have clearly heard it in their own language. If I didn't believe that, I would be so belittling the power of God, of God's ability to reach any person that he wants to reach. Also, giving disease to the people. This was another thing. I said, okay, oh my goodness. Does our God not heal and prevent disease? Do we, do we now not think that God would be able, if he was sending somebody to preach the gospel, that he could prevent the disease from happening? That he could be the healer that he is? Again, the belittling of God, but I think much more of it, as I've been thinking about it, is this cultural influence. And it's really hard 
when you grow up in your own culture to separate yourself from it and understand where your faith has been impacted by your culture. I remember the first time I moved overseas, I moved to Brazil and I lived there for a year. And I had such strong views on things. I'm a pretty strong viewed person just in general and I have been since I was a child. Yeah, imagine that, <laughs> a stubborn little girl. Um, yeah, I was very stubborn all growing up. Thank God for my parents and <laughs> my mom who disciplined me. But um, anyway, so strong views on a lot of things. And I was in Brazil, and I would say all <laughs> sorts of things. But now when I look back, I think, was that really biblical? Or was that culture influencing my belief system? And I said, it has to be this way because this is how I've always seen it. And then all of a sudden, probably six or seven months into it, where I was so frustrated by so many things because I was just seeing people live a faith that looked a little different than mine. The form was a little different. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, my goodness, my culture has so affected the way that I believe, the things that I believe about God, the way that I think things should be. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the culture in America and certain things that I felt like God was saying that we need to address. And now we each have to ask God individually as well, the Holy Spirit, to search us, show us in his word. That's why we, we have to constantly be in this thing, allowing it to wash us so that we can discern between good and evil. That's what it says, right? The mature are able to take the teaching and discern between good and evil. And then we're able to see what's of our culture and what's not. We're renewed by the washing of the water of this word. So one of a key cultural thing in America that is it's not the same everywhere. Europe is kind of the same, has some similarities. But a key one here is where we have an individualist mindset. Everything is about the person, the individual. And we are pro-individual. You do what you want to do. I hear this phrase all the time, you do you. That bugs me so much. Do you. Pretty much be self-seeking. Do what's best for yourself. Nobody, I can't judge you for doing that. I've had people tell me that before. Do you. Just do you. Yeah, like just do what you want to do. Exactly. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself first. There's no room to challenge one another in love. The minute I get challenged by somebody, I'm saying you are invading on my personal choice to do whatever I want to do. Ex exactly. That is a perfect phrase. Cramping my style. You're cramping my style. So I'm going to actually distance myself from you because I'm in America. I can do whatever I want to do. I can be whatever I want to be. That's what our country tells us. Be what you want to be. Go after it. You can do it. And I mean, some of that's good. There's this like confidence you know that we can have as a nation and that that can be good but then it can easily go into arrogance and self-seeking where it's all about me and that's a very fine line 
Because we as humans in the flesh, we are self-seeking. It's something that each one of us have to put to death. We have to recognize where am I self-seeking? How am I self-seeking? And how can I put that to death? It's always what I see fit for myself is best. So basically my perspective is the best perspective for my life. So no need for t input, have input from anyone else, which is just silliness. And I think Jane Marie, especially, well, Patrick as well, being Karens, you know? If your child said, uh, I don't need your input, thank you. I can do, exactly, I can do what I want to do. Out of love, you would say, uh, no, definitely not. Because if you know that, if you just say, yeah, just do whatever you want to do, then you're not loving them. They're growing up and they're going to be a mess. They're going to add nothing so to society and they're going to be a big problem and a headache for you the rest of your life. But if you take the time to discipline and you would say to your child, well, that's just immaturity. You don't know. You, you just don't know because you're a kid. You're not mature enough to see. And, and I'm not we're all we're all children of the Lord, right? We all have this. We're all in a place of growth in our walk with the Lord. And I would say no matter how mature you are in God, we need the correction of the Lord at all times in our lives. And coming from other people is very helpful because we don't always hear it. We're not always able to hear what God's saying because we can confuse it with our own thoughts because we're self-seeking. Sometimes what we hear from God is perceived through our self-seeking and what we think is best for ourselves. I've heard many things from God before that after looking back on it later in life, I thought, wow, thank God for mercy and grace because I was hearing his voice through my own self-seeking and it developed into this word. And I know he looks at faith in our lives, so we don't have to be like, oh my gosh, you know, like constantly doubting or questioning. But I'm s the point of this is that we should have other people speaking into our lives as well and knowing that, okay, then it cuts, it hurts, it convicts. I'm going to take that from God. I'm going to let it form me and make me like Jesus, even though it's painful, especially when I don't think it's what's best for myself. I had years in street life where David told me so many things. I've shared this before that I did not think were the best for me at the time. He, he told me to stop leading worship for a time because I was so arrogant in my leading of worship. I thought he wanted all the glory for himself, and that's why he was telling me not to lead worship, because I was shining more than he was. How arrogant. I'm just being honest. Like, that was my thought process. I was so mad at him because I thought, oh, you just, I'm just better than you. And that's why you don't want me to lead worship. Yeah. And so and I, now I can look back and say, whoa, thank God for his discipline. And thank God that I stayed and decided to submit myself. Was it hard? Yes, it was very hard. I, had, I cried through a lot of those decisions in my room, just like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't think it's right for myself, but I am submitting God, because I know it's pleasing to you, you see my heart, do something in me. 
if I'm not seeing something, do something in me. I thought Parents Night Out, I was thinking about this this morning, was a great example of some of the quality of the people we have in our community. Um, uh, Renee, been sick, like super sick. She came out last night, and without going out Christmas caroling, she did what part she could do, staying here, making popcorn, prepping the cocoa. She was still part, she was sacrificing a piece. It wasn't about her. Though sometimes I do tell her, you need more rest. (laughs) Go to bed. (laughs) Don't come over here. But at that moment, to me, it spoke of this. She was being selfless. She said, okay, I can't go out because it's just too much for the cost. But here, I can still serve. I'm going to give up for the mission, right? For the mission. Marie, I was thinking about her niece as we're walking up and down with all these crazy kids, Christmas caroling. And she has a bad knee. And then she gets here, and her knee's hurting, and yet she stayed the whole night, which allowed Jay to stay the whole night <laughs> so that he could play with the kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but seriously, like that type of sacrifice to say, I'm in pain right now. Would it have been easier for you to be able to just go home, lift your leg up, maybe ice it? Yes not have to sit here and watch kids fight and cry and play games. And I mean, that was, we had fun, but you know what I mean? That we have choices in those moments. And a lot of times our culture can say, what's best for you? You know, what's my, the way I live out my faith is by saying what's best for me. But what I saw last night was everybody saying, no, this is what's best for the mission. We know what God's called us to in this community. And even though we're, you know, we're weak, our flesh is weak, we're a small community, we're saying, no, we're investing. We're going to commit. And each one of us are going to do the part that we can do. Tommy. Dressing out because of the kids, and yet he made the picture for us to be able to send out. He was doing all the music for everybody, holding Caden's hand while walking. I thought that was like the sweetest thing ever. I look back. He was holding your jacket. Well, I just looked back and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm about to cry. This is the sweetest thing to have this father figure right next to him that he can hold on to while he's walking, being present. Being present when kids can be crazy and it can get stressful. It's just how it is. They can get crazy and can get stressful. But he was putting those things aside and saying, this is more important and I'm going to be present. And what an influence that has. And to run the sound, which I am terrible at. <laughs> so everybody, all this to say everybody has a part to play. And we make up for one another, you know, where, where, where one is suffering, the others pull together and say, we've got it. We can do this. That's what a family's about. That's what it looks like to put the mission ahead of us, Jesus ahead of us, the gospel ahead of us and our own needs. Stephanie Foster says all the time, <laughs> do something great for God. Don't just sit on your butt. Do something great for him. Our lives are so short. And I love when she says that because it just stirs my fire more and more. Like, yes, I want to do some, huh? Yeah, do cool things for Jesus. That's exactly what she says. Do cool things for Jesus. And I want to do cool things for Jesus. 
even when it's at my own expense. And that's where it butts heads against our culture. But what does the Bible say? And I wanted to bring this all through um, to this point of what does the scripture say? And I'm only going to pull two, and there are so many more. So many more. Philippians 2. And we know the scripture really well. But for some reason, our culture is more powerful than the scripture when it comes down to it. When it comes down to making the decisions, right? That's what I'm talking about. I can say all day long that I believe this. But when it comes down to making the decisions, does this prove stronger to me? The foundation. Philippians 2. Starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Okay, that goes head to head with our culture. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. So I'm going to say, Renee, you're more important than me. Patrick, you're more important than me. Tommy, you're more important than me. Jane Marie, you're more important than me. In the way that I serve, in the way that I give, I'm going to, in humility, regard you as more important than me helping me to keep a right mindset. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, And being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it says, for this reason, he's highly exalted, named above every other name he's been given. So that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. So then, verse 12, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is talking about what our salvation is supposed to look like. Jesus didn't go through all these things to say, I did it for you so you don't have to. He went through all these things to give us an example. He set the example. He said, I am the only son of God. I'm king of kings and Lord of lords. I'm seated on a throne, but I'm setting the example for you. Follow my example. Get off your throne and serve. Go to the lowest place and serve. Let it not be about you. Let it be about others and fulfilling the will of God. That is the example that he set for us. Do something cool for God. The will of God for you. And he says, work it out with fear and troubling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. When we grumble or complain, that shows our self-seeking. It's about me. My mom always said it. 
my mom always said growing up, the thankful heart shows the mature heart before the Lord because they recognize everything that they've get been received has come from God. Nothing is what they deserve. Do nothing without, do everything without complaining. When I complain, I'm saying I deserve something different than this. And who said it? There was a preacher that said, uh, the only thing we deserve is hell. So stop asking for what you deserve. Stop declaring what you deserve. Everything beyond hell is a blessing and a gift from God. And it should create this very thankful state of heart and mind in the people of God because we recognize what do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve condemnation. We deserve judgment. But he came so that we wouldn't have to have that. So, wow, thankfulness all over the place, right? Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. Paul's saying even if my life is just poured out, for the gospel, service to the gospel on your behalf. He's saying, I will have great joy and rejoice with me. Now, how many of us can take so much joy in that type of sacrifice? I heard, I've heard so many times like, well, I, you know, I don't want to serve more because I don't have enough time. I remember when I joined Street Life, there were some people on staff that we were a pr fairly small staff. And I went in thinking, you know, I was 18 years old, pretty wild child type. And I'm thinking, I'm going in, I'm going to be a missionary to New York City, and I'm going to give every second of every day to the mission. Like, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, in my mind, I had an expectation we were going to be busy from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. <laughs> every day. Well, I got there, and it wasn't like that. We were, you know, busy. We were working from 9 till 5 pretty much every day, and then some prayer watches at night. And I, But I went to David, and I said, David, like, I have so much time on my hands. Like, can't we do more? I thought this was like a life thing. I feel like I'm working a job 9 to 5. And he said, oh, wow, other staff members here have said they don't have enough time and that we work them too hard. Now, I'm not saying that I was better them than them in any way at that point. People have different experiences in life, different expectations, right? Then that creates our perspective on any situation we enter. Because my expectation was something different, it, it provided a better platform for me in that situation. Their expectation was different. But all that to say, why do we have those excuses? Are we not giving our life to the Lord 100% of the time? Paul, think of all that he went through, and he said, to be poured out like a drink offering, I will rejoice. Jesus, the bondservant, Jesus also giving his life till the death, every second of every day, 
not so that we wouldn't have to, but so that we would have an example of a joyful servant of the Lord who receives the reward of a suffering. And it bucks against our culture, and that's why it's hard, because we have all the voices around us constantly saying, it's okay, do you, take care of you first. And I would like to say, show me one place in the Bible that that is a principle. Show me one place that they say, take care of you first, and everything else will fall into place. That is our culture speaking those things. We're belittling the power of God. That young man went to India, and he gave his life. He, the biggest thing to me is, there's a scripture, right, in 1 Corinthians 13, that says, even if we give our body to be burned and have not love, it will mean nothing. We don't know if he had love in his heart or not. That's a weighty thing for him. He's going to stand before the Lord, and God will say and know in his heart if he had done it out of love or out of his own compulsion. Everything else from us is speculation and judgment against him. I say, look at his life. He took a leap of faith, and I'm going to say, wow, he believed in the power of God. I want faith like that. I want to be willing to give my life to be ready to die so that others could know Jesus. I want to be at that place above anything else, out of a place of love. And I want to read, finish with one other scripture that always hits me. Because we have Paul's, uh, Jesus as the biggest example, and then we have Paul, who's a major example, and he constantly said, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And what an example. He looked like Jesus, giving his life over and over and over again, every minute of every day. That's why he could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, if you read this chapter, it's kind of funny because he kind of starts sounding like he's insane, and he's saying it. I'm sounding foolish. I'm sounding insane to you, but I'm going to go off. Basically, he's so riled up, like this church had said, he's writing the letter to the Corinthian church. He says, For you, verse 19, 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen. for you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that I have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Basically, he's proving how great he is. And that's why he's saying he's foolish and he's speaking like an insane man. Because he knows it's not right to boast. He said, um, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I mean, that was just a mouthful. He, imitating Christ, giving his life for the gospel. And we can't even spend a couple of hours a week in sacrifice toward the mission. Ugh. It cuts me the same way. It's been convicting me the same way. Recently, I was praying, like, Tommy and I have different shows that we like to watch through the week. We're not, like, opposed to TV or anything. I used to be. I've gotten a little more lenient. But there are times where we're watching TV, and I'm just like, uh, both of us, actually, we're like, too much TV. Like, we are wasting our lives away with this amount of TV. There's a mission there's a, the will of God in front of us to accomplish. And this is not about me and us doing what we want to do. Right? What are your things that you can tend to say, oh, I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting my time where I could be investing in kingdom things. Where are you investing in the kingdom things? Reading your word, praying, the mission, these outreaches, you know, whatever things there are that we can invest in. Are we doing something cool with our lives for the Lord and not just wasting time and being self-seeking? Paul set this example. He was, I remember when I was in Haiti, I decided when I got there or right before I got there that I was going to live like the Haitians. I had seen many missionaries there and they lived like their country in Haiti, right? So they would have their own home, they'd eat their own food, and then they'd go out and minister. And I'm not saying anything about that. Dear friends of mine live that way and were doing amazing things for God in Haiti. But I had a conviction, no, I want to live like them. I want to eat when they eat, sleep when they sleep, work the way that they work, wash my hands, wash my clothes by hand. And I had a missionary friend who said to me, because they only eat where I was staying, they only ate once a day. And my missionary friend said to me, What are you doing? You need to be healthy in order to uh, minister to the Haitians. You need to separate yourself, get your own place to live, have your meals a day, so then you can be strong and minister to them outside. Now, it seemed like clear wisdom to them. They were concerned for my well-being. They were concerned for my health. And I just said, what? No way. God gave, and thank God for it, he gave me such an in with this entire village because I decided to live the way that they were living. Paul said he went hungry and thirsty. For some reason in our country, we say, don't deny yourself thus far. You're denying yourself too much. He was beaten three times, 39 lashes. Were people telling him he was denying himself too much? He was taking the gospel a little too far? 
I don't think so. Don't let people say you're taking the gospel too far. Jesus gave his life for it. Let's give our lives for it. Fully, everything. And I need it. We need to ask him. And I think just even this week, as you're, you know, having your times with the Lord and ask him to show you the places where you've become self-seeking. This is what I'm going to be doing as well because I need it. I want to become more like Jesus. I don't want to be so cut up in the culture around me that my faith becomes more relevant to my culture in a negative way. We should be relevant to the people around us. The gospel will always be relevant. But I'm saying in the way that I just look like them and I heed their wisdom, we have got to read this. Let it wash us. Let it teach us to give everything that we have without complaining, with great joy, because of Jesus. That's the goal we're going after. Amen? So, Father, today we need your help because we are so mixed up <laughs> and we have so many patterns in our lives and our ways of thinking that maybe we don't even recognize yet. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, I know everyone here is willing. I know it, God. I know every heart here is willing. Every heart desires your will. Every heart here desires to know you and to become like you, Lord. I know that as well as you do. And I pray, God, that you would deepen it in us. You would deepen these things in us. Take us deeper, God. Give us a sense of fire. Breathe on the fire again that we would give towards the mission. Giving our lives to accomplish your will for us and in this country where you've placed us right now in Carmel, God. Give us insight, vision, how to press forward towards that goal that we could see many saved and this community transformed by your presence and by your love. I just, I'm so thankful, God. I'm thankful for Jay and Marie. I'm thankful for Patrick. I'm thankful for Renee. I'm thankful for Tommy, God. Thank you for this company of warriors that you've placed here. Unify us, strengthen us, grace us to complete your will with great joy and that it would be a lot of fun along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.